Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels. Thank you, as always, for joining me on this sports podcast. Got a great episode for you today, Wednesday, November 7, 2018. Going to talk to my good friend, calling all the way up from Seattle, Joe Crisali. We work together at the NFL Network. We're going to talk football extensively. Talk about how the Saints may be the premier team in the NFL. They beat the Rams this week in a shootout, 45-35. to The Pats, Bill Belichick, Tom Brady keep rolling. They beat Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. How Vance Joseph flew the game for the Broncos. The Chiefs look good. What are the Browns going to do now that Hugh Jackson's out the door and I'm too busy celebrating? And a lot of NFL talk. We also talk hockey. I get fired up about the Joe Quinville firing news in Chicago. I wasn't a fan of that. And you'll hear why in this show. John Stevens out for the Kings. What's next for that franchise and some of the early season storylines in the NHL. It's the Money Mitch Effect, talking football and hockey with Joe Crisali. Let's start the show. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect, back again to talk our favorite mix of football and hockey. Calling in from the Pacific Northwest, Joe Crisali. Joe, thanks for coming back on the show. What's going on, man? Happy to be on. Yeah, I, I want to dive right into football season because I can't believe we're in November. We will talk about the NHL at the end, rest assured. We always have to get in some hockey talk as well. But it's been a while since I've uh, had a prediction that looks like it's got some steam. And are we ready to look at, Joe, the New Orleans Saints as a premier, maybe even the premier team in the NFL? That game against the Rams was really exciting. And New Orleans comes out on top 45-35. to 35. From their perspective, they lose week one to Tampa Bay. Everybody says this is a disaster, which it was, but seven straight wins. They beat an undefeated team, the last undefeated team in the NFL. Are you ready to buy into the Saints hype as uh, premier Super Bowl contenders here? I don't know if you and me talked about football before now. We, I'm sure we have, but I don't think I gave you my, my Super Bowl prediction before the year started, and that prediction was, the New Orleans Saints. Oh, on the same page. I like it. What about the AFC, though? So, Just out of curiosity. Was it the Pats again? Who do I have? Coming out of the AFC, I have the Texans. Ooh, 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 wow. Wow. So what a what a difference. You weren't looking as good in September, especially with the Texans, but hey. No, after the first couple weeks of the season, I was like, wow. I was like the dumbest person on the face of the earth. 0-3, 1-2. It was, uh, or 2-1. Uh, it was... Uh, I wasn't feeling too good about it at first. But that Saints win over the Rams, man, I, I don't want to say like it was easy to predict, but you kind of were thinking, like, okay, this is a really good Saints team, and we don't really know how really good they are. And then they put them up against the Rams, and the Rams come in there. And, I mean, Kamara scores three. Gurley only scores one. They're, they, they shut down Todd Gurley. That was honestly like the worst rushing performance he's had all season. Granted, he still scored a touchdown, but – um, that was in the first quarter of the game. Drew Brees again came out. He's had another. He has these games now. Every every couple of games, he'll just go off. And Michael Thomas bringing out the Joe Horn celebration that was just awesome. Well, I do want to say, in all fairness to Gurley, he still was I think 13 for about 68. That's about five yards a carry. How do you shut down Todd Gurley? You just outscore the Rams. You make them play catch up yeah. to where they can't run the ball, and, and that's where I think they're the most dangerous is when they have a lead and they can just run Gurley right down your throat and you can't stop it. The Saints offense is electric. This is the best. I, I, you could definitely make a case, the best wide receiver and the best running back 
that Breeze has ever played with? I think you'd have to say that. There, Michael Thomas doesn't get enough credit for how good he really is. Like, he casually He's always open. put up 211 yards against the, the Rams, supposedly one of the best defensive teams in the league. And he did it on Marcus Peters. There, there's a couple plays <laughs> where I saw replays where he had Marcus Peters beat. Peters was trying to grab him. He was going down on the ground, and Freeze just, you know, the play was to the other side of the field. But, like, Thomas right. was just doing what he wanted when he wanted. And Kamara is the same way out of the backfield. Like, that r- first rushing touchdown he had going around the left end into the end zone, he he saw the three defenders coming up at him, so he slowed down so they would cut towards him, and then he just went around them. And it was like that was nothing for him. He made it look like it was so easy. 327 yards receiving and running combined between Kamara and Thomas. Really remarkable. But I'm glad you brought up Peters because it was it was great what Thomas did, no question. But Peters has looked pretty bad against a lot of teams now. This is a reoccurring thing with him. I don't know what happened, if it's a mental thing. Remember, this is a guy that got kicked off of his team at Washington in college. But he is – there's plays where he's just not lined up ready at the snap. He's, he's looking around. He's not ready to go. Seattle gashed him the last time they played. If it wasn't for how bad Malcolm Butler is doing for the Titans, this signing would get a lot more press as one of the worst bang for your buck so far, I would think. Well, you had to think that there was something when Andy Reid gave him up for you know? Yeah. When Andy Reid would just give him up. When everyone talks about him as a premier-type player, if a, if a team has a player like that and he's on a, a decent deal or whatever, they're going to – majority are going to want to keep a player like that. Young, talented, high draft pick, you know, keep giving him a chance. But Andy Reid just let him go. So that kind of – tells me a little something is like maybe he saw something that other people aren't seeing in this guy that he's just not he's just not there he's just not in it this year and I mean that could be because he's way more exposed now all with all the injuries that are on the Rams defense you got Tlaib is out and uh so he's he's the corner that everyone's looking at to see what he's doing out there and he's just not doing well he's just not producing and uh I mean that's evident in his 211 yards allowed to Michael Thomas. Yeah, uh, I think the Fowler trade was one that the Rams said they're doubling down. We know they're going all in because they got golf on the rookie contract, but they're doubling down on their strength of a pass rush because the, the market for trading for someone in the secondary wasn't going to happen. They're they're banking on the fact that they're going to get to the quarterback before their secondary can get torched. And we got to give credit to the Saints offense yet again. It's going to be, I mean, we know the Rams are fine, Joe, offensively, but now it's going to be a boat race to see who gets that bye in the playoffs. And I can't think of a team that it's more, I don't want to say dependent on if they if they win the West, if, if they win the NFC, but if the Saints could get that one seed, that makes a huge difference in the playoff race. Yeah, especially going against a team like the Rams. If you can make the Rams go uh, to the Mercedes-Benz zone, I mean, it's a way bigger advantage for Drew Brees, Drew Brees to be playing there. But, I mean, you can tell me. I don't know what the L.A. fan base is like anymore. At least when I was there, it was no one really – they're like, they're who? The Rams? It's, they're buying in. They are. And uh, I think a lot of it is that there's a lot of front runners out here. I'll admit that. There are a lot of fans that just like yeah, to Yeah, you don't to have to admit it. Bandwagon. I think it's, it's known. <laughs> but, but uh, in fairness to L.A. sports fans, the Rams have roots in this city. 
So there's a there's a, an older generation of, of Rams fans. They were here for over 40 years. So they're not just a random team showing up. Like the other team I picked to go to the Super Bowl, the L.A. Chargers, who are not oh. coincidentally. Oh, you did not. You <laughs> I did, did not do that. I did. Hey, oh. hey, six and two. Six and two. Hey. Losses only to hey. the Chiefs and the Rams. So I might be the only one in L.A. who cares about it, but <laughs> I, I did pick are you? Them. You can't honestly tell me that you have confidence in that pick. So the Look, Chargers are six and two. Chargers are six and two. Let me just run through their schedule for you, okay? <laughs> first first week they lost to Kansas City. Okay, yeah. By really 10. Good. Next mm-hmm. week they beat the Bills. Yeah. That's their first one was against the Bills. Then they lost to the Rams by twelve. Mm-hmm. Then the, the next four teams they beat Forty Niners, Raiders, <laughs> Browns, Titans, Seahawks. So they beat the Bills, the Forty Niners, the Raiders, the Browns the Titans and the Seahawks, yeah, and the last... remainder of their schedule, the only the only two good teams they play are the Steelers and the Chiefs. Let's go. They, hey, the, they don't play anybody. The Titans and the Seahawks are both 500 teams. Just want to point that out. And, yes, I did pick them kind of as a reach, but I do think there's a lot of talent. We'll see when Joey Bosa comes back if he bolsters that defense. And, look, I wasn't going to pick the Jaguars. I think I dodged that bullet. And I don't want to pick the Patriots yeah, every God. year. I don't think I don't want to pick the Patriots every year. So yeah, obviously the Pats are the favorites in the AFC, which we'll get to in a second. But I was looking at other teams, and, and let, let's just be very fair and very clear here. No one thought Mahomes would be this good. So if you did, if you were picking the Chiefs, you were picking on potential. No one thought he would be this good. Yeah, in hindsight, it would be easier to pick the Chiefs retroactively. Yeah, now he's just out there. 300 yards, three touchdowns every game. You're like, okay, cool. Another three, another uh, another 400 yards, another 400 yard game, a couple touchdowns. Yeah, no big deal. And then Kareem Hunt too, same thing, running back, like guys in the end zone, every other play, guys just ru- jumping over people, barreling people over. The Chiefs, the Chiefs are unbelievable. I'm just waiting for that point where they start to drop off. You know, as a as a Broncos fan, it's very hard to <laughs> to watch them be this good. Well, I but do they, wa- like. Yeah. The worst part about them being that good is that the Broncos had a chance to beat them, but Case Keenum overthrew Demarius Thomas wide open, running down the sideline yeah. in the end zone. But. He overthrew now Houston Texans receiver Demarius yep. Thomas. I do want to get yeah, into Demar- and Demarius is going to get to go to the Super Bowl now. Okay, right, let's just let's settle down on the Texans. You want to talk about beating good teams? I, I don't think the Texans have done much of that, but. Let's uh, let's get back. <laughs> I mean, I think you'd agree to that. They so were... Texans Chargers. Oh, you got to see them face off. That we're looking at a first round playoff game, by the way, of Texans Chargers, and, and we still won't know the winner of that game if they're good or not. All right, uh, Joe Crisali, Money Mitchell. If that happens, I'll fly there and we will fly, I will watch that game <laughs> at the StubHub Center. Well, they got. I don't know if they're going to get a home playoff game, but it would be exciting here. All right, Joe Crisali, Money Mitch effect. That Chiefs-Browns game, I do want to mention that because the Browns had that turbulent week where they fired their coach in OC. Hugh Jackson, thank God, is fired. Haley joins him. Greg, <laughs> Greg Williams becomes the interim coach. And at no point did I expect the Browns to win that game. It was nice to see them move the ball. You kind of see where the Chiefs have issues defensively. But to be clear, Joe, at no point did I think the Browns were stopping that Chiefs offense. Not a single time, even when it was a one-score game, did I give the Browns much of a chance based on just how explosive that Chiefs offense is and some inefficiencies of that Browns defense. Oh, absolutely no way. But, I mean, at least you can take take solace in the fact that uh, Greg Williams just gets handed jobs everywhere he goes, so <laughs> yeah. you don't have to worry about him. Well, yeah. You know, like, he's... 
they just they just offer him the job. He doesn't even have to interview. They just get this. <laughs> Written but, uh, letters, yeah. <laughs> uh, in, I, no, you're right. I, I also just think that it, it's all about developing Baker at this point. So whatever happens the rest of the year, and obviously going into having to nail the hire for next year, they got to just get him in a position to, to develop and to grow. And his growth was clearly stunted by that previous regime. No, exactly. They just, I don't know what they had going on there. It didn't make any sense why they kept sticking with that guy when he kept doing the same things over and over and over again, the same mistakes. And they just kept happening and happening. You being a Browns fan, were watching this right in front of your eyes. And now Mayfield has looked really good. He's looked pretty good in the games Greg Williams has been there. And now they actually are allowing him to utilize the weapons that he has there. Like, oh, Duke Johnson Jr. actually exists on the team. He's a great asset out of the backfield. Maybe we should use him. And they have, and they implemented him with Mayfield in the last game. They looked really good. And then trading Carlos Hideaway, I think, does a lot of uh, good for Nick Chubb. Gives him a lot of confidence. And he's scored touchdown in two straight games. And he's looking pretty good, too. So the Browns, you know, they probably won't win a lot more games. But there's a lot to be excited about, I guess, as a for you competing in Browns fans with the good young core now that looks like they're starting to build and the only thing that they need now is to get <laughs> get the, those lozenges out of there and uh, <laughs> find a real head coach who can put in a real system that yeah. works around Baker Mayfield yeah uh, oh, that's that's the kicker and that's the part that has me hesitant just based on everything I've seen in my entire life but who knows maybe uh, maybe it'll eventually <laughs> change the Sunday night game, Joe, was the Patriots and the Packers, and we got the headline of potential greatest versus potential greatest, Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers, and the winner was Bill Belichick. <laughs> I mean, I think that's that's what it comes down to. This game, which was marketed around to all-time great quarterbacks, the guy that stood out was the greatest head coach of all time, Bill Belichick. I think that's clear as day what he did in that game play he implemented to win, to beat the Packers, to limit Rodgers, and just work his magic and having Cordero Patterson play running back. And it was just everything. A classic Belichick game. Yeah. Belichick. I mean, Patterson played the game uh, before to a little bit of running back, but that was kind of something you were thinking that was going to be a one-time deal. And then he comes out and he's like, yeah, he's my RB two. No big deal. We're going to pound him in the end. Zone. And he's a big dude and he looks good running back there. But also the Edelman pass to white, which Funny enough, I had both of them on one fantasy team, so that would have been a double score for me right there, but it didn't work out. But anyway, yeah. still, nonetheless, a cool play designed by Belichick, you know, changing it up. And then Josh Gordon uh, catching that touchdown there. Um, but comparing I'll – just, I'll just say this. Comparing Rodgers and Brady, I don't know if you – I don't know if you can do that. Rodgers, I don't think, is in the same echelon as Brady as far as – well, he's nowhere like near him. He's nowhere near him in accomplishments. I think what they're trying to say is just pure talent. But this is the problem with these comparisons, right? We saw exactly why Rodgers never had a chance at catching Brady. It's because of their head coaching disparity. Like even if even if their defense did get a little better, there's no way McCarthy is coming anywhere close to winning the number of Super Bowls Bill Belichick does. I just I don't know why McCarthy still I, I think I do know why he won that Super Bowl in 2011 and apparently we didn't know publicly but it's job security for life. Yeah, dude, for real. But like you you look at the comparison of the game. I'll I'll go back to the other Sunday night game with the Patriots when they played the Chiefs. 
that was a hell of a game. Like those, the quarterback play was just unreal, back and forth and back and forth. And that's, I think, what we expected in this Packers game with Rodgers and Brady and Rodgers and Brady. But the Packers, they just don't play that way. Rodgers is not surrounded by a lot of talent. No. It's Rodgers. He's throwing the ball to uh, Valdez, Scanlon. Cobb is not that good anymore. Jimmy Graham is, is up there in age. Aaron Jones is a great running back, but he fumbles the ball every time he's out there, so they don't put him out there, and they end up with Jamal Williams. And they got rid of Jordy Nelson. Devontae Adams is there too, but we haven't – I mean, he's having a decent year, but there's just not as much around Aaron Rodgers to help lift him up as there is, I guess you could say, like around the Patriots offense. Patriots offense is just way – way higher up there in firepower than a lot of other teams out there. Like James White at the beginning of the year, no one he was he wasn't even in anybody's plans. They're like, Oh, they got Sony Michelle, they're gonna be firing up with Sony Michelle and then they got these other guys and then now oh James White, Super Bowl MVP, forgot about him. He's like the main part of their whole offense. Brady dumps it off to him like every other play they hand it off to him. He's in and out, in and out and then they can mix in whoever they want. Like like you said, they got Coral Patterson in there now. Like, give me a break. The guy could barely return kickoffs for the <laughs> Oakland Raiders last year, and now he's playing running back for the Patriots. Like, give me a freaking break. Yeah, I, I just I marvel at Belichick's genius that he's always going to put this team in position. Brady was phenomenal too, but you look at that Pats D that doesn't have the personnel that it once did. Clearly, the way that they can limit an, an elite quarterback was uh, was just phenomenal. I do want to ask you, Joe, though, switching games. On a scale of 1 to 10, just how morbidly crushed were you with how Vance Joseph flew that game, clock management style, Broncos versus Texans? Oh, dude. I, like, he was just hiding behind. He tried to hide behind the fact of uh, he wanted to be able to blame the kicker for missing a field goal because you know that's what he was thinking. He was like, oh, man, if, if, we get this, if we get this ball any closer, which we totally can because we have a timeout, if we get this ball any closer and he, and he uh, misses it, you know, it's totally, it's totally my fault. So if he misses it from further away, I can blame him. It'll be perfect. <laughs> and uh, that whole drive, that whole drive at the end, you're like, all right, the Broncos are getting the ball back. There's like three minutes left. And you're like, all right, can Case Keenum do this? And in uh, the Broncos fan of me is like, eh, you know, probably not, but I'll give him a shot. So he's in there, and and the very first part, very first part of the drive, I, I talked to you about this earlier third and one and they're trying to get a playoff before the two minute warning so that they don't have to use the timeout instead of just getting the two minute warning as a timeout he snaps the ball and they hand it off to Lindsay, who just runs it and gets zero yards and then it's fourth and one and now they gotta like go through this whole scenario of getting this fourth down instead of you know using the two minute warning and utilizing it to make a good play which maybe you could have went downfield with but instead they ended up they got down the field in, in decent range with the completion of Emmanuel Sanders, but once Sanders caught that ball, it's like there was no – they are like, okay, this is the perfect spot for us. We don't need to get any further. And there was still a minute left in the game, and they didn't go anywhere else. They just kind of just were like, all right, you know what? This is fine. We'll accept this. <laughs> but then you're just like, okay, this is still a 51-yard field goal. Do you realize that? I'm kind of sitting there the whole time at the end of that game trying to think like, does he realize that it, this is not like a twenty-yarder? Yeah, I, maybe they should run a play to get a little closer. But I, man, I, that guy's got to go. I don't understand it, and this is the same thing Jason Garrett did uh, against the Redskins a couple weeks ago. You lay up for a long field goal, 
There's no guarantee it's going to go in. I know the elevation makes it makes the ball travel a little farther, but come on, you have a timeout, you have a chance. I just I hate this passiveness. And yeah, Vance Joseph is is on the short list of coaches I think aren't going to be back. It's going to be an interesting off season, but I think he's gone for sure. Um, the Texans six and three with this win, kind of remarkable that they've won six straight games, but. You got a good. Uh, uh, they got a good helping hand from the Broncos, who don't seem Joe. They don't seem like they're a three and sixteen. They seem a little better than that. You're talking about the Broncos. I mean, I think they're about. They, they should at least be what four and five, five and four. I mean, they've been in a lot of these games and they just can't finish it. Maybe it is mostly coaching, but they're they're close in a lot of these losses. And this this uh, Texans one. This Texans lost. They could have won the game, but Vance Joseph decided to ice the kicker in the fourth on his field goal attempt, and he missed it, and then he made it, and then they got the lead, and that's what happens uh, when your well, coach makes one decision. But like, like listening to John Elway talk about him, Elway said they're going to stay the course of them. That basically means like we're going to give him till the end of this year because we clearly aren't going to win, and then we're just going to get rid of him. <laughs> that means he's got a countdown clock in his office to when he can fire Vance Joseph down to the minute, basically. down to the second that the last game ends. I don't think he'll even make yes. it to Monday uh, after week 17. The, the other thing to talk about this week is the uh, self-destruction of the Dallas Cowboys, which... Who didn't see that coming, right? Bringing Jason Garrett back into the fold, and uh, yeah, Dak's just gotten worse. I mean, it's it's gotten to that point where I think everybody need they they need to just start fresh. I, I'm I'm at that point with the Cowboys. I was actually uh, sitting and watching one of those Brian Baldinger breakdown videos. He posted them on his Instagram. Kind of weird, but he was talking <laughs> about Dak and why the Cowboys are so bad. So they allowed Dak, obviously being the starting quarterback and leading that offense for a couple of years now. He they he's got three reigns because he audibles plays. And there was a play where they were on the goal line and he audibled it from a halfback dive which Ezekiel Elliott like already got the ball down the field and could have just pounded it in. And he did kind of a, a sweep, like a halfback sweep, which when he adjusted it, it takes all of his blockers away and the play goes nowhere. Mm-hmm. And uh Baldinger's like how is this allowed as a as a quarterback in a professional game? He's like, high school quarterbacks know not to call this play on the goal line. And uh, he's calling it. And the thing is, like, Jason Garrett doesn't care. He's just still, still going to stand over there and clap. Jerry Jones is acting like everything is fine. Jerry Jones, is his, his life about the Dallas Cowboys is that meme with that dog holding coffee in the fire just saying this is fine. That's his life. Oh man, that's a good analogy. That is a, that's a good analogy. And and I don't, you know, the thing about Dak is we look at some advanced stats and some of them haven't looked terrible. It's just a matter of maybe. I mean, we don't know if he's bottoming out because the system sucks. I think that's what Baldinger and that's what you are kind of getting at is that maybe there's an argument that if you just get rid of the coaches and give them somebody else, you might be able to 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 find something there long term. But they got one year, and then they're going to have to either extend him or move on. So I, I don't know what's going to happen there. But they should have been up fourteen nothing. Dak throws the pick in the end zone, and they lose to the Titans at home, which but says it all. But the thing is, your your owner should like Jerry Jones came out and said he's that he's the GM Dak also. Extension. He's also the general manager, <laughs> like in charge but of that, player yeah, personnel. That's the thing. 
the owner should not be the one going out saying that kind of stuff. There's too much. There's too much for them personally invested right into it. You got to get to the point where you got to just let people do their jobs. Yeah. But uh, as far as as far as the Cowboys go as a whole, they are uh, a dumpster fire that has been <laughs> lit for a long time. But the top has been closed and it is now open, and everyone sees it for what it is. Yeah. Wow. It's truly a disaster in Dallas. Um, before we drove disaster <laughs> in Dallas, disaster in Dallas. That's a nice tagline. Before we move on to uh, a different sport here, talk a little hockey. What is your takeaway? Because we've got a week. What do you think happens with Le'Veon Bell? Is he sitting out the whole season? I have a lot to say about Le'Veon Bell. Now that you bring him up. Oh. <laughs> well, there you go. See, we didn't even plan this out. But I mean. It's just so hard because he thinks like he was able to argue that he should be making more money. Now, I didn't know this until recently, but he is already making the most money as a running back. Not even like by a little bit. Before Todd Gurley and uh, David Johnson signed their contracts this year, the next highest paid running back was Devontae Freeman making $8 mil a year, which he signed that last year. So his deal was fairly recent. He was making $8 mil. Le'Veon Bell is already making 15 mil a year, which is almost double what the next closest running back was making. And then he said he wants to be paid similar to when he wants to be paid what his value is. And in his head, he thinks he's a receiver and a running back. Okay. So uh, the the highest paid receiver is Odell. He's making 18 mil a year this year. Mm -hmm. So he's Le'Veon's making 15 mil and, and, uh, Odell's making 18 mil and he's sitting out for what for that extra three million dollars are you kidding me or for whether it's even whether it's 20 like whether he wants more than that you're gonna sit out this long for a couple of extra mil just because why and then now the Steelers are just like okay you want to do that we know exactly how to utilize the players that we have to show that we don't need you to be here so then when he shows up the players on the field, they're not going to back him up. They don't care. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised to see if they call like a toss play and they toss it to him and no one blocks. And they just let <laughs> like him the just... longest, Like the longest yard? We have a longest yeah, yard situation? He, he... Yeah, that's what I think will happen if he gets in the game. But that's the thing is, would Tomlin even put him in the game after all this? And can I even say, like, he tweeted farewell uh, Miami. <laughs> I know what you're gonna say. Someone, com- yeah, <laughs> someone commented on it and said you had nine weeks to spell farewell correctly. <laughs> like, he spelled it wrong. <laughs> Just like seriously, man. And and I don't know what his agent was telling him to sit out this year. Not only does he lose all that money from the games he's missed this year, now he comes back and are they going to trade him? Who knows? And if they do trade him, the team. They're not going to want to pay him what he wants after that nonsense. Are you kidding me? Like, in what scenario can you look at a guy and say, okay, you're already making more money than everyone else, but you're sitting out for a couple extra dollars? Right. Now, I mean, to, to you and me, saying it's a couple extra dollars, whatever, it's, it's $3 million. To them, is is a couple extra dollars compared to, like, you know, what it would be. But, I mean, if he thinks he's going to come out of it making $20 million a year. He's just out of his mind. Todd Gurley just 
Todd Gurley is better than he is, in yeah. my opinion. Todd Gurley, Alvin Kamara, you don't see Maybe Todd Gurley sitting out. They gave him a deal. They gave him what he was worth, and apparently what he's worth to the Rams is still not as much as what Le'Veon Bell's already making, which is just insane because I would take Todd Gurley over Bell any day. Let me also say part of this right is Connor. What he's been able to do, just how much of a beast he's been, and he he plays a position. Look, it sucks. I understand everybody wants to make as much money as you can as a professional athlete because those careers are short. But he plays a position where there's so much depth, and you don't have to. It doesn't make sense as a business to overpay the running back position because your guy, a great example of this, Joe Peyton Lindsay, undrafted, having a great rookie year. You can find talent. For cheap. That's just how the running back position works. James White for the Patriots. The list go on and on. So I don't think... Yeah, we could just keep going. <laughs> I mean, I just don't think it's worth it. And I think, to be honest, what I think it is, is I think there's an agreement behind the scenes, the Steelers and, and Le'Veon Bell, that he's not going to play this year and he's going to let him sign wherever they're going to let him walk at the end of the season because they could be just finding him right now. And they're not. Like, they could find him every day he misses, every day he doesn't report, and the way the collective bargaining agreement is set up for the players, he'd have to pay it. So I think that's what's happening. I really do. I don't think he's coming back next week. I think he's done as a stealer, and we'll see what happens next year. I, I can totally see that happening, too. Like, do they want to really go through that headache of having him play? Like, anytime you hear any of the players on the team talk about him, any of the offensive line, none of them ha- ever have anything good to say. They don't care about him anymore. <laughs> and yeah, that it, it is what it is. Like that, it's totally tarnished. So any relationship you had there, it's got to be tarnished. And I don't. I mean, like, and then he goes. Say he goes to another team. How stupid is he going to look? Say he goes to the Colts, right? How stupid is he going to look when he goes to a team that's already bad, and he thinks he's going to, you know, make him better, and watch him just fall flat in his face. Gonna, it, like it very well could happen. Like stuff like that has happened before, and it very well could happen again. Well, we'll have to see. Joe Crisali, Money Mitch effect. That's that too much Steeler talk for me. You know, I'm, you know how much I hate them. I just I don't like talking. <laughs> you about got it. your Browns. We got I you did. got your Browns in there. I, I'm not a big Steeler fan. You know, that's why whenever anything like that happens, I just get, you know, no. not happy about it. I hear you. I hear you. Well. On positive notes, or maybe not positive notes, however you look at it, the NHL is up and running. We've had over a month now of pro hockey. And the biggest news, well, outside of the fact, Joe, that I'm just furious that my MVP pick got injured in Austin Matthews, I am just so rattled by that. that. That really made me mad that he's out for an extended period of time when he was just crushing the league like I said he would. Yeah, I mean, he, he was absolutely dominating at the beginning of the season. You couldn't, I, you and me were talking, we couldn't believe the torrid goal pace that they were on. They were just putting up so many points. Well, the the good thing about the Leafs is that Toronto's good enough to where they can cover while he's gone. You know, it's interesting. I don't know what the Nylander situation, if there's going to even be any new developments for the time being, but they are so deep up front. It's not just Tavares. Kadri's still really, really good. Marlowe can still skate. They're going to be fine, and they're going to be a wagon throughout the rest of the year. So they're they're in a good position. Teams that aren't in a good position, i got to remember what year it is because the, your Rangers are struggling mightily, 
And the Blackhawks and Kings have fired coaches. So November, Chicago and L.A. are already out of coaches. It's, it's kind of hard to believe. The first one fired was John Stevens from the Kings. And I got to say, no surprise for me whatsoever. I was at the game when they got beat by the Flyers. Stevens is an extension of Daryl Sutter, Joe, and they have a really old roster. They play a really slow, methodical style. It wasn't working. They had to do the move now to salvage anything and get themselves in a position to see what they have roster and coaching-wise going forward. Yeah, man, I don't know what was going on with the Kings. I think a lot of us had them pegged to be one of the better teams in the West, but they clearly have not put it together. I think that goes to just, like, if you look at their roster, the guys who normally are the ones that are putting up points and being the go-to guys for them, they're just not doing it this year. Kobitar's only got six points in 12 games. That's not very good for him. At one point in the season, their leading scorer was Alex LaFalla. <laughs> and he was one of their top-line players. And he's one of their top five scorers right now. He's only got eight points. So they're just not putting it together. I know Quick was down for a little bit this year, too. They're almost dead last in the league in goals scored. They are. And (laughs) they're just just not doing it offensively. Their power play is really bad towards the bottom of the league. Shooting percentage, bottom of the league. Assists, bottom of the league. They just have really been a huge disappointment this year. They have the lowest goals for 2.15. They were the last power play to score this year. They're just a slow, I mean, they're just not good. However metric you want to look at it. Quick, if he would have played, wouldn't have made that much of a difference. And, and the most depressing thing, it is a personnel thing because they don't have a lot of speed and they have no youth. Next year, if you look at the roster projections for who they have locked up under contract right now, they won't have a single player under 30 starting next year. I mean, it just you can't have that. that. That does not work in the National Hockey League. So the Kings had to get out in front of it. Marco Sturm is a, they got Desjardins who's going to coach, but Marco Sturm that is bringing over from Germany, the the former player, he just retired recently. So maybe they're grooming him to be the next coach. We'll get into who I think they might make a run at in a second, but I just think the Kings needed to do something because they don't look good. They need a spark. They need to fix it quick. They might be out of it completely by Thanksgiving. I mean, we're getting to that point. They're they're not good, and they pretty much blown the first month of the season. Yeah, and the thing is, we were thinking the complete opposite. They're like, "Oh man, they got Kovalchuk. They really added that piece that we really thought they needed." But they're just not a good cohesive unit. They just are not looking good this year. Not just uh, offensively, they're really bad. Defensively, they're not that good either. And I mean, you can't throw all that on Dowdy, but he's had a, a decent year. But as as a whole, they're they're pretty uh, down near the bottom. So I have a lot to say about what happened today in the NHL world. Joe Quinville fired by the Chicago Blackhawks with a record of, let me pull it up, Chicago was starting the season. They actually started it pretty hot, but they're 6-6-3 six, six, and three right now. Not to get all Don Cherry-y on, on you, Joe, but I, I'm, I'm a little pissed off about this move. I'm not a Blackhawks fan, for the record. I don't think anyone's ever accused me of that, but this is a, this is a Bush <laughs> League move to me. This is somebody that's won you three Stanley Cups. He's in the top five of wins of all time. It's not his fault that the roster is old, that the roster has signed a lot of veterans to contracts that they can't really live up to their value on. 
if you're and I understand the behind the scenes that there's issues that there's issues with the general manager and maybe even the ownership in Quenville and you might want to go in a different direction it might be more of a rebuild and he might not be in it for the long haul but this is something you do at the in the off season you make it you, you release the press statement that we've all seen they've agreed to part ways mutually you owe him that you don't fire him in November for a mediocre start to the season where there's still, you know, a couple points out of the playoff picture. There's plenty of hockey left. This is Bush League and it's unfair to a guy who's been your best coach by far in franchise history. No, I totally agree with you one hundred percent. Guy won three Stanley Cups and you're just gonna can him at the beginning of uh five hundred season. Like not even they're not even as bad as the King. <laughs> no, they're, not even close. They're Two points right now. They're two points out of a playoff spot. I mean, granted, it's super early, but they're still there, and they're like you said. I mean, they have those veteran players that aren't you know earning up to those contracts. But there's a lot of things that weren't his fault, and to just can a guy who did all that for your organization and is having even a decent start this year is just. Like you said, especially. I mean, and I want to reiterate, I get that organizations go in a different direction and you're not guaranteed a job forever just because you've had immense success. But this is the stuff that needs to be talked about clearly in the offseason. Look, this is what we want to do. It's top down. If if you don't want to be a part of this, Joel, you have that right. If, if we want to go in a different direction, we're going to work things out. It's very similar to, I'll give you another sporting example, Joe. Uh, Joe Torrey, his end of the Yankees tenure, right? You remember how that went down? Yep. So I know a lot of people were upset about it, but imagine how much worse it would have been if they fired him two weeks into the season in April. You know, yeah, for real. I you, mean, you handle that stuff in the off season. You figure out what the direction is, and you buy it. You, you don't fire a guy like this mid season. I can't be any clearer. You basically treated him like a like a new coach or a poor coach that just can't get the job done when clearly he can. Yeah, you, exactly. I mean, you're you're saying it all. I don't really have to dive in on this, but <laughs> I mean, he's the, he's one of the to me. He's one of the best coaches ever. He won three cups. What else could you ask for somebody? And just getting rid of him at the beginning of the season, like now, what is he supposed to do? What what do you what do you expect a guy like that well, to do? I'll tell you, you know, what he's, he's, he's been there for. He's been there forever. Yeah. Yeah, he's been there forever, and he did all that for you. And now he's like, okay, where, where, where's my life go now? Well, I'll tell you where it's going to go. He's sixty years old, and there's no reports that he's done coaching. So for me, for me, he gets his pick of the litter. I think the Kings are going to make a serious run at him when they get to hire a coach next year for the full time basis. He's not going to coach the rest of the year. I've heard that even the Blues are going to be interested because Mike Yo is probably going to get canned. And if he really wants to just wait a little bit and start fresh, here's the juiciest rumor I've heard, Joe. You ready for this one? I'm listening. There might be a new franchise where you're currently calling in from. Maybe he's the start of that. Oh, baby. I mean, that would be absolute perfection, would it not? It would, and what better way? Because you know now all he wants to do is, and I've never met Joe Quinville, but I would wager a lot that now his goal is to just stick it to the Blackhawks wherever he goes. I mean, so, that could be how he how he approaches it. So I think he's going to coach again. It's a shame what they did to him, but um, yeah, we'll see. The three Stanley Cups, it's it's amazing, and uh, you know, 
maybe dark days are ahead for the Blackhawks, and they'll, you know, this this younger generation of fans will finally see what suffering looks like because it's been a while since then. Um, Joe, I did want to ask you though some more NHL talk. Do you know off the top of your head who's leading the league in scoring right now? Off the top of my head, most points in the league <laughs> right now. Um, it wasn't anybody we talked about early. <laughs> I'll tell you that. I know. I know it's the dude on the Avalanche. Oh yeah, uh, oh, yeah. Miko Rantanen. Miko Rantanen. Yeah, twenty-four Let's points. Miko. Miko Rantanen. Yeah, where did that come from, man? <laughs> he's twenty-two, and he's a big dude. Six four, two fifteen, five goals, nineteen assists, and he's playing on a good line. He's making things happen. Um, no, I mean, I think that line's probably the best in hockey, right? Him with McKinnon and uh, Landeskog. I mean, you can't really argue the results right now. Pasternak leads the Pasternak leads the uh, league in goals with 12, and the Bruins, oddly enough, are a team in, in kind of a little, uh, I wouldn't say panic mode, but a little nervous because they got a goaltending controversy. Yeah, I mean, I want to circle back a little bit to the abs there. but Yeah, go ahead. Go um, ahead. They're good. I mean, they're... Ranson in that 24 points. I mean, he was a first-round pick a couple of years ago for them. Finally looks like he's found his, his stride. But he was definitely no one that we were thinking at the beginning of the season was going to be making any kind of splash like that. Mm-hmm. Connor McDavid, number two. But McKinnon ranks third in points up there with Rantanen. So they're definitely doing something right. And uh, as far as your, as your goaltenders go, I mean – Tuka Rask this year he just, sucks. It's not just this year. He just hasn't looked like the guy that he once was. And now they got a guy in there that's giving him a run for his money. Right. Yaro Halak, though, much respect to him in relief. Not a guy you can rely on for the entire year. Maybe with this offense they can, they can get by and surprise some people, but this isn't a good thing for the Bruins to be in, especially with how tough that division is. Um, if you look at some of the standings, things that have surprised me in the beginning of the NHL, Nashville, 11-3, and just just filthy how good they've been. The best team in hockey so far. Tampa Bay being good in the regular season doesn't surprise anybody either. But how about the Islanders on top of the Metro, Metropolitan right now? That's, uh, that's a little odd. Yeah, Islanders definitely a surprise. Um they're getting some good play out of their young players. They look like they're playing, they're meshing well. Uh, getting good goal play. The signing of uh, Laner going a little under the radar. He hasn't been super great, but they've got Grice there also playing well. And it looks like their goalies are splitting time even pretty pretty evenly. Um, I mean, they're they're. I can't root for the Islanders, but <laughs> they're <laughs> no, in there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Montreal, another one right now in a wild card position, and and our Buffalo Sabers trendy pick. They currently have the second wild card right now. It's a lot of lot of uh, jacking for a position early, but it's been interesting to watch and see. Even Edmonton has done okay out of the gate, but the team that I've been actually really excited to watch, and I would argue, Joe, maybe the most fun team to watch in hockey that people don't know about, the Calgary Flames. Their defense isn't that great, but they are just up and down trying to score at all costs. Yeah, the Flames' offense is unreal. Johnny Gaudreau leading the way. Monaghan having another good year. Um, the Flames. That that was your that was your pick going into the year. You're you're 
pretty high on them. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily feel the same, but right now ahead atop of that division, you can't honestly tell me that looking at both of the ways that these conferences are right now, that Calgary, Vancouver, and Edmonton are all still there come season's end. I don't know if they're for real. They could be Vancouver. I don't is Vancouver for real. Elias Pettersson no. has been unreal so far this year. He is way better than I I ever thought he could be. Oh, he's he's and, disgusting. But I don't think they're they're for real. To tell you the truth, the Sharks are still you know the Sharks are a little bit out of the uh, playoff picture. They'll they'll be fine. They'll bounce in there. Um, and even a team like Vegas who struggled out of the gate. I mean, they're not that far off. There's still plenty of time for these teams to make moves. I think those will be the teams that start pushing. Uh, even Edmonton, I have my doubts out, but we both like Dallas. I think they're going to be entrenched in the race. Minnesota's done pretty well. In the East, I, I need your opinion on one team in particular before we wrap this up, Joe. What do we make about Carolina? Do you think there's anything there? They've kind of lost a few recently, but they're, they're kind of a weird team. No one expected much of anything. They're just shooting the puck like crazy. I think they have like 40 shots a game. And they're running into the glass and dancing whenever they get a chance. I don't think the Hurricanes are going to make a splash this year. I, I'm not huge on their young players like Spetsnikov. I mean, he, he's had he's been up and down so far this year, not as reliable. You think that getting a player like him, coming up with all the hype that they had around him, that he'd be uh, a lot better, kind of like Line A, more of a goal scorer. I mean, that's a little bit high praise to give him because mm-hmm. he hasn't proven that he can do that. But I also am kind of biased because they decided to bring back the Hartford Whalers uniforms this year. Ooh, yeah. And uh, I, I, uh, don't, I don't necessarily agree with that because you took that team away from my state. But, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel bad because I agree exactly and understand where you're They're coming just, from. The jerseys are just so dope. The yeah, it's so, so sick. Like, if it's you're like going to you ask can't me. Be, <laughs> you can't be wearing those in Carolina. No one, no one, they're like, what's a whaler? Like, what's this? <laughs> what's a whale? Yeah, what about them wearing them in Boston, though, the second time? I think that'll be pretty cool. Yeah, they're definitely, I think the whole, the, the whole garden will be filled with those, you know, those jerseys mm. just because of the Connecticut following, but well, oh, hurricane. It's, it's hard to see yeah, that logo. I know it really is. Well, last thing, Joe, before we wrap this up, what are your thoughts on the Rangers start? Worse than you expected? Slightly better? How do you gauge their first couple, first thirteen, fourteen games? To be honest, slightly better than I had anticipated. I mean, they're pretty low in the standings, but in the grand scheme of things, they got thirteen points right now. They're tied the same amount of points as Vegas has. Um, they've definitely they. I think they won two games. Yeah, they won two games against the Sharks already this year, which is unheard of. One of them was in San Jose. They are not a team that I would suggest betting on in, in any form whatsoever because they could win. They'll beat the Sharks twice and then they'll lose to the Canadians and uh, the Panthers. And they're just it's a headache to watch, honestly. But once they once they get their bearings together and once they figure out who plays well on what line and everything and they get all assimilated, I think they'll be okay. Maybe not this year. Obviously, they need to get you know a little bit older. <laughs> they just <laughs> yeah. called up uh, their first round pick from last year, Leos Anderson. 
So I'm anxious to see how he plays. He had, I think, 12 points in uh, 15 games down there in the AHL, which isn't really what you want to hear out of a first-round pick. You'd think that he'd be tallying up more points, but um, I guess we'll, we'll have to wait and see what uh, head coach decides to do. It's kind of weird what he's been doing here, scratching. He's been scratching players like uh, Nemestikov was supposed to – was it? Is that his name? Yeah, <laughs> that's his name. The, guy, the dude they got, Domestikov, right? Yeah. The guy they got mm-hmm. from Tampa Bay. He was a healthy scratch one game, which was kind of was like, what are you doing? He's the guy that you want to get out there and get in there. But some questionable decisions so far by Quinn this year. But you can't really say anything because no one's really expecting them to do anything, which they aren't. But Yeah, I, I you know what? They're a young team. I like Quinn as a coach. He's trying to set the tone and get the young players to buy in. Um, I think there's some potential there, and I think the Rangers are going to be a little frisky. I'll, I'll put that as the word. I don't think they're going to be a pushover. There's still a lot of talent there, and uh, it's going to be competitive. But I'm just happy hockey started. We've got a lot of sports going on. It's pretty great. Joe Crisali, this was fun. Thanks for coming on. And, uh, yeah, now you're not you're not going to get the uh, the winter time in Los Angeles where nobody even notices the difference. So try to stay warm up there. Dude, I, I've been putting off how uh, long we have to wait to put our heat on. We were like, all right, because we had it on in the beginning of the year when we first moved here in February. And we were like, it's cold. And now we're like, all right, that was super expensive paying for heat because we didn't have to pay for heat when we were in L.A. for that long. So <laughs> now we're like, all right. We're going to wait as long as we possibly can to turn the heat on. So we caved on Halloween and turned it on because it was freezing. And then today it is freezing and the heat is on again. So well, you're lucky. That's a dangerous game to be playing. But glad to see that you're warm and uh, we get, getting, hopefully getting <laughs> that fireplace up and running if you do have one. But that would be, uh, you know, that would be a little nice. But all right, oh, Joe. Oh, yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> I see. I, I do. And I'll actually – I hopefully, I'm going to Montana. I'm going to Montana in November, so hopefully that'll freeze me. So when I come back here, it'll still warm. Perfect. Joe taking over the Pacific Northwest. Joe Kasai and the Mighty Mitch Effect. This was fun. Thanks again. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Huge thanks to Joe Crisali for appearing on today's show. Thanks again to Brian Nelson for supplying the artwork for the podcast. Tim Adams for supplying the beats. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. You can find every episode of The Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. You can also catch us at the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page and follow me on Twitter, MoneyMitchM21. And a reminder, every Friday, Running With The Money, another podcast that I host along with Kent Brown and Matt Gothard, where we break down all the college football betting lines continues this week it's getting good the playoff picture is crystallizing a couple weeks of the regular season left i'm a little sad that we're already in november but a lot of good football left and a lot of good action if you know what i mean as well this was the money mitch effect i'm mitch michaels be sure to check us every week check out every episode that we have it's going to be a lot of good content coming forward as we wrap up 2018 thanks for listening and until next time keep enjoying sports